Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fair side. Inside. It ain't the left side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Also, check out our merch store, onthefinside.threadless.com. The Dolphins travel to Green Bay this weekend to square off for their first 3 p.m. Eastern time game of the year against the Green Bay Packers. Always a tough trip up there for anybody. We're lucky to be joined by Troy Heinrich from the Packers Fan Podcast. Be sure to follow them on Twitter as well as check out their podcast. A lot of great information with the Packers. And for this weekend, heading up to the Dolphins-Packers matchup. Troy, thanks for joining us here tonight. I'm so glad to be on the Finn side because it's definitely worse to be on the Buffalo side or the Jet side this year. That's right. That's so we're <laughs> off to a good start here. So and, and we don't we don't hate the Packers as much as we hate the, the Bills or the Jets. So this should be a layup for you in this show. Or those pesky Patriots. Man, what a rough loss to come off of the play you guys this week. Yeah, and that's a great segue to where we are this season so far. So Packers are three, four and one, but it seems like in the middle of the season a lot of times they're like this, and then they crank up the gears in the second part. Did lose 31-7 to to our despised enemy, the New England Patriots, last week there. But what is the overall feeling regarding the Packers heading into Week 10? The biggest thing that I think people overlook is that you had – this AstroTurf is a terrible thing to have in the first place, and it was the AstroTurf that cost us that game against Detroit – and you think about the, the missed field goal against uh, Minnesota and, and just the horrible roughing the passer calls that we've been seeing in the early part of the season around the league, costing us games. So really, when you put it down on paper, the Packers are really a 6-2 and two team. They've just been kind of shooting themselves in the foot, and the two losses they got were legitimate losses. So when you take away the tie against Minnesota, you take away the, the Mason Crosby debacle in Detroit, you take away Ty Montgomery being a goofball, uh, over there in, in Rams country, I think that at the end of the day, it's a 6-2 and two team, so things are looking up. We are in the NFC North, and the Bears still have a really tough schedule ahead. The Vikings still have a tough schedule ahead, so it might not be hashtag run the table this year, but it'll be hashtag win the North, I think will be where Rodgers declares uh, after we knock off the guys this week, unfortunately. <laughs> well, the Packers are 10-point favorites here. And, yeah, they are coming off two games – where they have to be upset, they lost by two points to the Rams, 14 points to the to the Patriots, but definitely close games throughout. So let's go down the list here. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, what more can you say about him? He's on pace for over 5,000 yards passing, 30 touchdowns and two interceptions on the year, and you can just divide that by half as far as his numbers. Same Aaron Rodgers this year, or is at 34, is anything starting to catch up with him? I don't think it's a catch-up issue. I think it's more around scheme and trying too hard to get certain people involved. He's Taze's guy, right? 17, Devontae Adams, super awesome, super stepping up, becoming the number one receiver after Jordy Nelson departs the Packers for the Raiders. Feel bad for Jordy that he's stuck in that situation now. 
But at the same time, when you, you have Marquez Velvet, Scantling, and you have Equiminius St. Brown, and you have some of these younger rookies coming up to play, Rodgers has always been about, I'm going to throw the ball where I want to throw the ball, and you have to get there. I think Rodgers has to understand now that he is kind of the senior person in the league in, in a lot of ways. And so he might have to adapt some of his styles to be more in line with what the youngsters are doing so that the youngsters can make the plays that they want to make and that they can make. And I think you saw some of that with uh, Marquez during the, the Patriots contest, specifically coming back, catching balls that were just actually really underthrown balls by Rogers perspective. Now is Rogers the greatest quarterback of all time. You can still debate that with the whole, whether it's Joe Montana in the conversation or whether it's Tom Brady in the conversation, but really I think Rogers at this point in time has to get out of his own head. He needs to just go back to playing football and having fun playing football. And if he needs to override McCarthy because McCarthy's play calling hasn't been the greatest in the last couple of games, just go ahead and do it. You know, you're the one that's on the field. You know what's going to do it. You're going to know yeah, what's so, going to work best. So you just have to go ahead and go for it. Sure. So let's stick on the Packers' weapons there. So obviously Devontae Adams, who is probably going to be covered by Xavier Howard in this game, which should be a great matchup. Uh, Devontae Adams – on pace for another really good year here, 58 catches, 730 yards, seven touchdowns, obviously the number one guy. Marcus Valdez-Scantling, a lot of our listeners probably don't know about him, fifth-round pick out of South Florida, 6'4", 200-something pounds. Over the last three games, this guy's had two 100-yard games, and on the season he has over 21 yards a catch. What, his, what has he brought to the offense over the last at least few weeks? Well, and the big thing for him is that he's playing the role that we thought Geronimo Allison was going to play this season as being that deep threat streaking down the sideline. And with Geronimo Allison now facing season-ending IR to have this muscle surgery that he has, uh, Valdez has to step up and become Geronimo Allison overnight. And I think that he's proven that over the last two weeks. And so I would look for Valdez to be the guy that goes down the sideline, the guy that goes for the deep ball, let Randall Cobb kind of become the what we would call the Donald Driver of the offense. He's the sure-handed guy. If you need someone to convert third down in the slot over a slant, get a couple yards, then Randall Cobb fits that kind of mantra from that perspective. And then you have Tay, who's doing what he can on the outside. The problem is Tay is like the number one guy, so he's, he's double covered or he's covered with your best cornerback on the team, which takes Tay out of the equation a lot of times, which I think is where Rodgers gets frustrated because he has to rely on younger talent in order to make the plays. Sure. How about uh, Jimmy Graham? Obviously a big name that was added this offseason. 32 catches, 425 yards, two touchdowns this year. Obviously very good numbers for a tight end. Maybe not Graham's numbers that he put, put up in his prime, but he has added a size to that receiving unit. But I know he was a little bit hurt last week. As we record this show here on, on Wednesday, what is the prognosis for that right now? I think he'll be fine. And he's been banged up most of the season. We see him on the injury report. He's either a, a do not participate on Wednesday and then he's a limited participant on Thursday, maybe limited on Friday. He's good to go by Saturday. So I'm expecting you're still going to see him out there. I think the biggest thing for Packers fans and the way Jimmy's been going this season, it's kind of, it's almost like a disappointment because we expected more, situations where you would see Jimmy match up inside the red zone, especially when you have a goal-to-goal situations. And we just haven't seen Jimmy become the Mark Tremura of old, if you will, for Packers fans that remember Superman back in the day when he played with Brett Favre. And 
I think that's what people were expecting. They were expecting Superman, and instead we got two touchdowns over these last seven, eight games, and it's kind of a head-scratcher of, is it an injury thing? Is it a scheme thing? Is it a, a, a route-running thing? Like, what, why are those two guys not connecting, especially with as tall as Jimmy is? You should be able to throw the ball up there and have him bring down anything he gets. Sure, sure. And staying on the Packers' offense, their offensive line, obviously David Bakhtiari has been great at left tackle really since they drafted him. At right tackle, I know that uh, Brian Balaga went down with an injury last week, and my understanding is he should probably suit up for this game too, and Jason Spriggs probably won't see the field because of that. So what is the latest on Balaga, and uh, is that how is the Packers' offensive line doing this year uh, protecting the quarterback? Surprisingly well. Balaga is one of those guys where he's out there, he's a stalwart, got to love everything he brings to the table. So if he can play, he's going to play. But I think when Balaga's not in there, that right side definitely weakens quite a bit, and which is a bit of a challenge for Rodgers. Now, the good thing is, is that actually rolling to his right and passing to his right is probably one of the Rodgers' weak spots. So being able to have him roll towards the left where he has that security blanket in Bakhtiari makes him a little bit more uh, easy to get like a play-action pass off or an RPO in order to get the ball down the field. So I would hope that Balaga's playing this weekend. So far, it looks like that's going to be the case. And we'll cross our fingers if, if it doesn't happen because then we got to come up with some uh, some scheming there on the offensive line because if you can protect 12, it makes your guy's life a living nightmare. If you can't protect 12, man, it's it's a real tough road to go because the, sometimes the defense is good for four quarters. Most of the time they're only good for three and a half. Now looking at the last few weeks for the Packers, I mean, really going back to week two, they left 29 to Minnesota, 31 to Washington. Shut out Buffalo, which doesn't count. 31 to Detroit, 30 to San Fran, 29 to the Rams, 31 to the Patriots. Is this a sign of just tough opponents that they've played, or are there some concerns there with the Packers' defense overall? No, I think every single opponent that they've played this year is a playoff-caliber team, Uh, even the Redskins, even Buffalo to some degree. When you think about what Buffalo was able to do with their defense, if they had a decent quarterback, they would be able to run some offense and be in some of these games. So when, when you really stop to think about what the defense is doing good, it's the fact that we're shutting down the pass. Where last year we were a giant sieve. I think we finished 32 in the league, if, I'm, if my memory serves. Uh, so to be able to jump up to the middle of the pack right now from a defensive perspective, even though we're giving up a lot of points, I think is an okay thing because it shows progress. It's only Penton's first year. It's a whole new way of thinking about it. We have two rookies that we brought in from the draft. Uh, with Jari Alexander, especially having a fantastic rookie season. And so I think the, the good thing, the good direction is there. Is it a playoff-capable defense as of right now? I don't think so with the number of points we're giving up. But then again, maybe by the time the playoffs roll around, it's a whole new season. We'll see that the defense has finally gotten their act together and can hold some people down to, you know, maybe 20 or less. Sure. I mean, I can see the Packers – like they've done in the past, continuing to win a lot of 27 to 20, 30 to 23 types of games. It seems like that tends to be the norm for Green Bay. But sticking on the secondary, like you said, they drafted a few players here. And the most notable, which is Jair Alexander, the cornerback out of Louisville. They also traded HaHa Clinton Dix. And my understanding is they moved veteran Tremont Williams to free safety. What was the thought process behind that move? Well, clearly, HaHa had mentioned that he was a free agent at the end of the year. 
and most likely he was going to test the market anyway when it came time for that to happen. So if I'm a general manager, the first thing I'm looking for is, you know, I took this person with a high draft value initially, spent a lot of time and investment in him. No matter what, I want to get something for HaHa rather than rolling the dice and getting a compensatory pick. Because when you think about the compensatory process, what happens there is that he goes in free agency at 2019. I don't see that draft pick until 2020. So by at least doing the trade, I get a fourth round pick in 2019 and I get immediate value for that move, knowing that I have some people on the team in the secondary now that can take over that position and make something happen. So clearly it wasn't anything that had to do with uh, HaHa's performance or HaHa's play. It was strictly a, he could probably get picked up by any team in free agency and he's he's worth the money if that's the case. So if we're not going to be able to pay him because of the cap situations we have with Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews, I'm going to get some value for him right away. So I think for Goody in his first year as a GM, I think it was the right move and good on him for recognizing it and getting value out of that trade. And it looks like the Packers, from afar, it looks like the Packers front seven has overachieved a little bit when you look at a couple of these players. I mean, we're used to seeing Clay Matthews having, you know, nine, 10, 11 sacks every year, only has two and a half so far. Mike Daniels also a stud at the defensive end spot. I know Nick Perry has not played very well this year. Muhammad Wilkerson, they signed in the offseason. He's out for the year. Tell us a little bit more about that front seven. Yeah, it's been the enigma for most of the season. You also had Vince Beagle, who was uh, someone that we thought was going to be the up-and-comer coming off of last season, sat out last season, and then he's not even on the team this year. So uh, the biggest thing that I think with the front seven that we have to take into account is that Nick Perry and Clay Matthews are getting older. And we have to think about what does a pass rush actually look like when you talk about the Green Bay Packers. And I know Patton's running the 3-4 still that Dom Capers had previously, but is this something that Patton looks to maybe go back to the 4-3 in the offseason? And if he doesn't, I think you have to really ask yourself, is it time that we move Clay Matthews inside? Because if we're giving up the amount of yardage we are on the run game, we need to plug up the hole. And the last time Matthews played inside at middle linebacker, we were able to stop the run pretty consistently. So I'd like to see if Matthews does stick around after the season because he is a free agent at the end of the year, depending on if we have to restructure a deal or whatever because of the cap space situation with his contract. I'd like to see him go back on the inside and have some younger guys play on the outside that can get in there, especially what we saw earlier in the season with Reggie Gilbert and a few others. So what do you think here, taking a look at both sides of the ball, what do you think the Packers need to do to win this game? Uh, The big thing for sure is anytime you can keep offense off the field, you're in a much better spot to win the contest. So when you have two guys in Williams and Jones on a running back core, putting up 5.2 yards a carry for 110 yards combined against the Patriots last week, plus what they were able to do to the Rams the week before, I think if we could consistently run the ball, that obviously helps in the time of possession field. If you're talking 35, 40 minutes time of possession, you should be able to win pretty much every ball game as long as you play turnover free. So that's the big thing. Um, you know, you guys are looking at Ryan Tannehill coming back. Uh, does he stay off one more week so that you can go into your bye next week? And then Ryan comes back after the bye weeks, which means you got one more with the Osweiler uh, swinging it back there. And I think for yep. him, you know, Brock, Brock, Brock over, man. Uh, I think Petten. Thank God. Is gonna... <laughs> I think, yeah, uh, it's. You know, <laughs> 
Yeah, Aaron Jones, the last two games, 26 carries, 162 yards, over 6.2 yards a carry. Does look like a player we haven't talked about, really. Looks like a player that's really starting to break out and, and give Aaron Rodgers that running back that he's, for the most part, missed over his career. Well, absolutely. I don't think anybody since I'm on green would have been the, the first person I can think of that really ran well for Aaron that he could take advantage of. And that was really a, a two phase for Amon, right? That was, he was with Favre and then he was also with Rogers. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we have Aaron Jones and Williams back there, plus we have three tight ends that we can leverage as the fullback because Ripkowski did leave uh, in the preseason. So we don't, we, we actually don't carry a fullback on the team right now. And so we have a lot of different options that we can do where you can have Williams, who's a great pass blocker, still be in there on a two-back set. And then is Williams going to run the ball? Is Jones going to run the ball? Is Williams going to be a blocker? Is it an RPO? Lots of different combinations they could take advantage of if McCarthy just opens up the playbook a little bit. So what's your prediction here for this game? What's, what score do you see? Well, I, I think that the Packers being at home, it's always a tough place at Lambeau. I got seats on the 45-yard line. Uh, for the Milwaukee games, uh, which this weekend is a Milwaukee game. So everybody from Milwaukee will be coming up uh, for this gold package contest. And so when you sit down and look at it, I think defense does fairly well. The offense gets some momentum because of the home crowd. Sadly, I think it's a loss for you guys, uh, but I think it'll come in somewhere around the neighborhood of like 30 Packers, 21 Finns. That will do it for our breakdown of the Green Bay Packers roster with Troy Heinrich. You can follow his podcast, Packers Fan Podcast. Not hard to remember there. And they can find – where can they find you, Troy? Oh, you can find us on Twitter at Packers Fan Pod. You can find us on Facebook at PackersCommunity.com. Uh, lots of great conversations happening in there. And then, of course, PackersFanPodcast.com is the website. Uh, where we just have everything up there and have a lot of fun talking about green and gold all day long in our 100th season for the Packers. And there you have it. And you can follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can follow our merch store, too, on thefinside.threadless.com. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fin side. side. It ain't the left side, side. or the right, right side. side. And it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.